Hello, welcome back to Rycast. It's the start of series two, and I'm in the car on the way to the harbour to meet Harbour Master James Bateman to talk about his work and life in Rye. You'll know the Harbour Master's office, the white building that looks out onto the rather across from the lifeboat station. But to get here, well, it's a trip out on the Canberra Road and then the private road that takes you across the golf course. I'm just waiting for a couple of golfers to pass through before driving on. In the road, you can see some metal tracks. Now, I'm guessing those are the remains of the tramway that used to take the golfers out here from our town. But the golfers have moved on, so let's crack on and meet Rye Harbour Master James Bateman. I wasn't expecting this chance to go out on the river and it's a beautiful morning it's high tide James what are we aboard this is Rother 4 she's our pilot vessel she was built specifically for Rye by the company called Lockin which used to build their boats in Rye she serves as our pilot launch and harbour patrol vessel what's the plan today we're off up the river to uh, have a look at a faulty navigation light we'll try and see if we can rectify it and get it working for the night tide it is absolutely beautiful here. What's it like working here? It's a lovely place to work. The tide being a huge part of it because obviously it's not here all day. And when the tide comes in, I feel like the life comes into the harbour. Yeah, it's a, it's a lovely spot, you know. Tell us about your job, what do you do? So my job is primarily to ensure the safety of the users of the harbour. I'm also one of the three pilots that pilot the coasters to Rye Wharf. The job is very varied. No two days are the same. So what do you look after? What's the area that you control? So the harbour limits are literally to 200 metres past that beacon that we've just been passed out to sea. And then it's the navigable water all the way up to Scott's Float Sluice on the Rother. And then if you go down the Tillingham, there's obviously the Tillingham Sluice and then the Breed Sluice, and that defines the harbour area. On a day like this, at control of the boat, yeah. what does it feel like? What does it feel like? As I say, I've been doing the job for 11 years now and I do thoroughly enjoy it, but I've been at sea playing in boats my whole life, so this feels like a normal day, you know, a good day when I can get out on the water. As you can see, the, the views that perhaps nobody else gets to see, only the harbour users, it's quite unique. The wildlife doesn't fly off when you approach it, you know, we'll probably see a seal in a minute. It's quite varied, it's, it's not a bad place to work. It's lovely. And the boats that come here, obviously the, the fishing boats, tourist boats, but you get some quite big ones going into the wharf, don't you? That's right, yeah. Vessels up to 90 metres long. They carry mainly aggregate cargo, either for building roads or for the decorative aggregate that we've got down at Rye Harbour now. And we still export a little bit of grain through the wharf, and that's grown on the uh, Romney Marsh. The ship sizes. Well, it's 90 metres long, 13 metres wide, and the draft of the vessel depends on the height of the tide for the day, and that can vary, but it's usually a maximum of about 4.6 metres. So they're big ships for this little channel, certainly. How do you get them in? Because they can't just do it by themselves, can they? No, they're required to take a pilot. So as I say, there's myself and two others that act as the pilots for Rye and we use the harbour launch to go out and board the vessel and then we assist the captain and the bridge team for a safe act of pilotage to get the ship safely from sea parked up alongside the wharf ready for discharge. It must be a big deal. There's lots to do, lots to think about. Once the ship's alongside and tied up and the discharge has commenced, usually the ships take the ground almost straight away because there's not a lot of underkill clearance. 
you know, it, it's the point at which you have to be on your A game for bringing the big ships in. And we're limited by weather and obviously the tides. And there are no plans to expand the harbour, make it bigger, take bigger ships. The limiting factor, if you look over here to our, on our port side, those two sticks in the bank there mark the centre point for what we call the turning circle. Now the ship's being uh, 90 metres long, when the ship's bow is in the mud over there, there's only eight metres uh, behind the ship of clearance before the wharf. So as you can see, the flood bund is almost touching the edge of the turning circle. So in reality, there's no scope for increasing the ship sizes any more than what it currently is. When's the next big boat coming? It'll be on a spring tide, but at the moment we don't know. We tend to only get as little as a week's notice, really. We just approached the new fishermen's pontoons. They were put in in 2015 to replace the old chain moorings further down at Rye Harbour. And as you can see, they're very popular, small boats. Rye has about 35 active fishing vessels, which is quite a lot for a port of its size, all in the under 10 metre category. Just draw your attention to the seals on the bank. They get a lot of publicity. There's um, some young ones there. I think they've recently bred. Do they bother you at all? The seals don't bother me. They do cause a problem for the fishermen out at sea, eating the fish out of their nets. But certainly for us, it's nice to see them. Completely unbothered by the boats, aren't they? Yes, I suspect they get a meal or two from the fish that comes out of the nets here. In the water up there, just dive down. One over there, having a play. Oh yeah. Are they the same seals that come back each year? Or do you think yeah, different? the population's definitely growing. These guys are permanent residents now. You might see all these green fences along the flood bund there. That's the, another Environment Agency flood defence project. They're raising the height of that flood wall, which runs from my harbour office all the way up to uh, Scotts Float Sluice along Military Road. But it's high tide now. There still seems plenty of space. Is there really a danger it might overtop? I don't think it would overtop necessarily on a normal tide. It's if there was a tidal surge caused by a weather event then could get quite close. I think the, the flood bund is set at six metres and in 2013 we had 5.3. Obviously there's springs and neap tides and we're on the back end of neaps now. So on a spring tide, if you were to come down in a week's time and we do the same journey, the water will be up another couple of metres and flood in the salt marsh. Is there any much dredging? Because there's a lot of water, it's very flat, so there must be a lot of silt that comes down from the Rother Valley and the surrounding rivers. So does it need dredging? There is a requirement to dredge for us. It does suffer from siltation. We do it about once every three years or sooner if it's required. We use a, a water injection dredging technique which puts the silts into suspension and then it's taken out in the water column so there's no actual waste to deal with. Yeah, it's quite a liability. It's not so much in the main channel. We get a bit on the bend around at Simmons Quay and then the majority of the issue is down the rock channel and up into the Strand. But then we do need some mud up there because that's where our yachts are berthed and couldn't take away all the mud. We just obviously dredge the main navigable channel. That beacon that's right ahead of us now up in the corner there, that's the one we're going to go and have a look at quick. All fixed and sorted? Yep, yep, she's ready to go. As I say, they're quite easy to maintain. Just got to keep the solar panel on the top of the light clear and then it'll, uh, it'll charge up. We've got plenty of sunlight today. 
Whereas the seagulls, of course, are damaged. They do, yeah, unfortunately. There's not a lot we can do about it. You see this, even the cormorants sit on the top of the beacons there. <laughs> they hold their wings out to dry in the sun, you know, it's quite impressive. So. And we're now, what, heading up to Strangkey? Yeah, well, I'll just show you Simmons Key first. Again, is another one of our success stories. In 2006, the key was completely rebuilt and redesigned for the use of the ride trawler fleet. You'll see today there's a few boats in, a few boats out. Lots of activity on the quayside, I'm sure, as the fishermen are preparing for some more settled weather that we've got coming. I was talking to one of the fishermen the other day. He's only managed five trips this year so far. What with the weather gives you an understanding of how tough it is for these guys. Swinging around into Strand Key. It's quite a tight turn, isn't it? Yeah, there's a tight turn here as the rover meets what we call the rock channel, and then we'll find our way up into Strand Key in a minute. We'll go past the boatyards, got most of our leisure users, the yachtsmen, pleasure craft, all more in this part of the harbour. It's quite nice that it's zoned in that way. These yards with cranes, facilities for getting the boats out of the water, and then shipwrights for doing the work. Not many places where you can find that now, you know, on the water's edge. As we're going past the boats, there are a few people out either cleaning the boats or just relaxing in the sunshine. Do you know most of the people who own these boats? We have a rapport with most of our customers and you'll see like people waving, boatyard owners or the fishermen. It's a very friendly community, the harbour community. We just give you an idea of the new and the old. So on the town side at the moment, we're still showing the old timber fender in. And then this is part of our project to renew and give a 50-year design life for our mooring system. We've got these new composite fenders, steel columns, and instead of the old wooden ladders, we've now got steel ladders. It's obviously going to make it safer for people to get on and off their boats and to moor here while they're visiting Rye. So it's some serious investment then? This is part one of a two-phase project. On that side of the river, we're looking to install a pontoon system, which uh, should be going in during the financial year 23-24. Still a construction site at the moment, I don't want to go up and get too close to the man working on the over the side mute, so I'll turn around here and we'll start heading back. Come out to the harbour offices, with a fantastic view up and down the river. And I'm struck by the Harbour of Rye Harbour Masters from 1850, the board on the wall, which has names going back over the last century and a half or so. A lot of the people who've been Harbour Masters have been here for many, many years. There's one chap who's been there for 30 years on that board. James Bateman was obviously there from 2011. How come you ended up as Harbour Master? So I worked at sea in the Merchant Navy and then in between jobs and the advert for Rye came up and it felt a bit like familiar almost homely place to go and um, yeah I've been happy here since uh, 2011. Because your background is the marsh isn't it? That's right yeah I was um, born and raised in Dimchurch. I worked out of Rye on a fishing boat when I was part-time when I was at school and then um, did my cadetship with P&O ferries Dover and then went off and saw a bit of the world and came back here. I got my first boat when I was 14, a little wooden boat that a friend and I used to pick up and carry to the beach and go to catch mackerel. I guess it living by the sea, it's hard not to become attached to it. And I remember never having been 
for more than a day really away from the coast. I went to Manchester when my brother went to university. I must have been, what, 15 at the time. And the two nights there were the worst two nights I've ever spent anywhere in my life. So I was quite happy to come home and be by the sea. And then out on the, the big ships travelling the world? Yes, I worked on cruise ships. It's certainly a good way to see the world in some form of luxury, but it's hard work. You work, you know, split shifts for three and a half months. Yeah, you work days and nights and take people on their holidays. It's all good fun. What were you doing? I was a deck officer, so it's driving, navigating the ship. You get some amazing views of the world from the bridge of a ship. What stands out? Where is the most amazing place you've been? The thing that always stands out to me is I was on watch. We were on passage from San Francisco to Mexico. We'd been on the same course for about two and a half days. And just towards the end of my watch, as the sun was coming up, a whale jumped clear of the water about you know, half a mile in front of us. And after I'd sort of composed myself and thought, wow, what an amazing sight. We have whale avoidance procedures on cruise ships to avoid whale strikes. So it was, uh, yeah, quickly uh, adjust the course and make sure we stay out of its way. But it was just almost like something out of a movie. Yeah, amazing. It's a big old change going from big cruise ships to you know, what we've just been out on, the Rother 4. The world must seem a lot smaller. Yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, it's, it's scale to everything. I mean, the fishing boats that we saw in Mexico where they have helicopters on the top and a, a, a small boat on the back to take the net out to round up the tuna, you know. And as you say, yeah, big cruise ships. But the majority of the ships at sea are small coasters and they're the ones that go round the coast and port to port and, and they frequent rye. And it, the principles of ship handling are all the same. So it doesn't matter what size it is. Actually, it's easier on a cruise ship because you've got more engines, more bow thrusters, more power. The coasters that come in here have got an old, um, they're usually quite old vessels and they've got uh, quirky, <laughs> quirky <laughs> mechanical bits and pieces on them. But yeah, it, it's a challenge, but we, we enjoy it. And living in Rye and back on the, the Romney Marsh, what does this area mean to you? It's just home. I've never really known anywhere else. Uh, I've never felt at home anywhere else anyway. And you're bringing up your family here? Yes. My wife and got two young boys, uh, Charlie, who's six, and Jack, who's four. Great place to bring up the kids. They absolutely love living here. And when you see the list of the other harbour masters on the wall, going back to 1850, names like Stephen Britt and William Bourne and Albert Hedgler, what do you feel when you read that? When you see that? I feel quite proud to be part of the history of the harbour. I think I'm number 12, aren't I? Are you always on duty? It does feel like that, yeah. It is more of a, a life choice than a, than a job, if you know what I mean. You know, you have to weave your job into your life to make it work. Thanks to James for giving me such a unique view of Rye. Next time you see the harbour launch out on the river, give him a wave, and I'll put some pictures at ryecast.org, where you can also find out about previous episodes. It's ryecastsussex at gmail.com if you'd like to get in touch, and it's ryecastsussex on social media. More stories from Rye in a couple of weeks. Until next time, goodbye.